What's up, guys? Taiki here, and welcome to episode three of the Crypto Market Wizards podcast. Today, I have here with me Jay Chung from Manifold Trading. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So, can you just you know tell us uh, how you got into crypto trading, um, your background, and what you do now? Yeah. Um, so, I actually got into crypto in 2016-17. Um, just was really interested in um, the whole ethos of it and. I have an engineering background, um, started coding really young. So um, just got pulled into it. Um, I didn't really playing around, didn't really start playing around that seriously until uh, I got really into white hat hacking. Um, and crypto was actually an amazing playground because uh, everybody seems to fork each other uh, since the early days. And essentially finding a vulnerability in one thing would lead to finding vulnerabilities in 10, 20 things, essentially. Um, and so, yeah, I was doing that, collecting bounties here and there. Um, I got very into EOS uh, back in 2017. Um, I found the vulnerability in that one. Um, and uh, that was probably one of the bigger ones that I've done um, outside of a couple other chains and projects. Uh, then kind of stopped doing uh, white hat work and um, started running validators across a bunch of chains. Um, I was spending a lot less on running nodes and servers than what I was making in terms of block rewards. Um, so I basically took what I was earning and then started trading um, full time. Basically, I was doing alt source of things, uh, going from trading majors to trading, you know, long tail assets to, um, you know, looking into building arbitrage strategies and whatnot. Um, also invested in a couple um, early stage venture stuff um, around like 2020. Um, really started writing a lot more checks over that year. Um, and, you know, right place, right time, caught a lot of big moves like DeFi, like NFTs, and also a lot of the venture stuff did pretty well. So, you know, um, been across timeframes, across assets and crypto trading. Nice. Yeah. So I guess when you first started out in 2016, 17, you were taking these very low risk strategies of just identifying hack or like you know, vulnerabilities, collecting bounties, and then you using those profits to mm -hmm. reinvest. Uh, is that kind of like the yep. strategies that you're really into just like lower risk, delta neutral, or like those arbitrage strategies. Um, and like, is that what you do at Manifold? Can you tell me like more about your day-to-day -day operations? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think as a, as a trader, uh, my risk tolerance in the beginning was, you know, I didn't have a ton of capital coming into crypto. Um, I was just an engineer. So um, essentially, a lot of my early success came from using my skill set in order to basically earn uh, rewards and then using that and uh, trying to grow it, essentially. And uh, when the capital base you're using is coming from profits, that's usually um, a bit better in terms of like managing your psychology. Like the losses don't seem as bad. Um, and I think it's, it's actually very important, especially when you're discretionary training, um, that like you keep your mindset very tight. Um, in terms of what goes on at Manifold, it's not really a lot of discretionary trading at all. We have a venture arm where, you know, the team discretionarily, um, discretionarily chooses projects to invest in. We do a lot of due diligence. We have investment committees and whatnot in order to choose, uh, deals that we want to allocate to long term. Um, but on the main trading side of things, it's high frequency trading, um, pure arbitrage, cross venue, ARB, things like that, where, um, really there's not, a, not really market risk that we're taking. 
the risk management side is more in counterparty risk, credit risk, smart contract risk, bridge risk, all that kind of stuff. And really trying to figure out, am I getting paid enough uh, for taking whatever risk I'm taking on these trades? Gotcha. Yeah. So I, I remember like walking into your office and you were like having D-Bank open and you're like, yeah, like I got to rebalance here and here. I got to borrow, uh, you know, like, on Aave <laughs> and like, you know, like just like all that like risk management, mm-hmm. but like, like what percent of your, I guess, strategies mm-hmm. are on-chain versus on like on centralized exchanges? Um, I would say like pretty half and half. Um, so one of our biggest things is cross-venue arbitrage where um, whatever the market moves, uh, you have price dislocations because there are so many different liquidity venues in crypto. Um, and what that means is, you know, if ETH moves up a little bit, usually price discovery happens on centralized exchanges, especially uh, perpetual futures. So let's say Binance, um, there's a buyer um, and perpetual futures moves first on Binance. And then it kind of like flows onto the other exchanges via arbitragers, right? And that's how kind of price moves. You know, ETH alone has probably hundreds, maybe like if not more uh, venues that, that trades ETH, right? So there's fragmented liquidity everywhere. So, you know, our goal basically, as soon as we find spreads that cover, you know, the cost of that trade, uh, we'll immediately uh, initiate a trade to close that spread, right? And this includes spot futures across centralized and decentralized exchanges. Got it. And I, I mentioned Aave, right? Like, do you usually just like use like stable coins as collateral, borrow an asset, and like close these like I guess like price discrepancies, or like what kind of apps do you actually use on chain to you know get your strategies done? Yeah, so on chain, in order to um, basically trade spot, um, let's say we want to like sell ETH on chain and then buy on like a uh, another exchange somewhere else, right? Um, in order to do that, like you actually need the inventory and volatile tokens, let's say ETH, and we denominate it in USD, right? So um, in order for us to actually be selling spot ETH, we need to be borrowing it essentially. We're still market neutral because if we sell here, we buy here. But it's like if you're trying to move inventory then to that chain in order to orbit, like you're you're going to be way too slow, right? Um, so we need inventory basically waiting everywhere. And um, yeah, that's why we would essentially use these DeFi protocols like Aave, where we collateralize with a stable coin and, and borrow ETH against it or borrow all sorts of assets against it. Um, and uh, we're able to continuously hit these ARB opportunities. Yeah. So you're basically like the reason why on-chain DGENs like myself can get you know better pricing, like whenever I want to buy things like ETH and Bitcoin, right? Yeah, yeah, nice. so, basically. So speaking of Bitcoin, uh, recently we've seen the price of Bitcoin just pump like 15% in two days. Uh, you mentioned that you're most, like, you know, most of your strategies are you know, like delta neutral or just like not, not taking on market risk. Um, when it seems like the markets, um, the tide is shifting, uh, do you ever just decide to say, you know what, like, you know, 10% of our portfolio um, with Manifold, like let's just like deploy it into certain types of um, ass, like you know, assets. Um, like, do you tr- kind of like try to factor in your market views? Um, and like, you know, where do you think we are in like the entire cycle when it comes to like bull and bear markets? Yeah. So as a firm, we don't really take a directional view in the market. Um, we do maybe on like a minutes time frame um, because we do high frequency trading. Um, we have models that essentially systematically decide if, you know, our alphas are telling us to long or short, um, and, you know, get into positions and close out. Um, but you know, you won't see us like swing trading discretionary trades and like holding on for, 
you know, hours or, or days, for example, um, on the prop trading side of things. Um, and I think the reason is like we have our bread and butter. Um, you know, I, I would say nobody on the team has a crystal ball on where the market's going to go. Um, I personally have some like feelings about the market, um, where I think it's going to go based on my experience in crypto trading. Um, but as a firm, it's like we're, we're very much about sticking to um, exactly what we do best. Gotcha. So it's like, you know, identifying your edge um, and just like pushing that edge. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, so like, where do you think we are in the cycle? You said you have like a pretty good grasp of, you know, just like gut feel, like where we are in the cycle. Um, obviously, Bitcoin just like moved up a lot. But like, where do you think we are? Like, is it like risk on mm-hmm. risk off? Um, and how are you personally positioned? If you don't mind, yeah. like sharing. Yeah, yeah. So I personally started talking like to a bunch of my friends and, you know, a lot of people that I bounce ideas around with. Um, from months ago, um, I felt like it was actually a very good time to start deploying over this quarter and then the next quarter. Um, a couple of reasons, I think. The, the ETF narrative uh, backdrop, right? Um, you know, I have a pretty strong feeling that it, it has, it is, and it was guaranteed essentially based on the info that we could see um that it was going to go through and um i think like the market wasn't really pricing that incorrectly like it was pricing it as if the the chances of it going through was was much lower um and i think like that definitely positioned um people quite differently um but once you once you assume like that the etf is essentially guaranteed to go through like the way you see the market is quite different. Um, I also think that uh, in terms of like the new narratives that are coming up, uh, I do think like consumer apps and like real apps that you know have better UX than you know the Web three applications of the past will start attracting the next delta of users into crypto. And um, I think you know we've posted about sort of our consumer app thesis, consumer app info thesis, whatnot. Uh, more and more of these apps are going to come on, and um, I think that's really what's going to start bringing in, um, you know, new capital, new liquidity, uh, not just a rotation of the existing crypto nerds and the existing infrastructure plays that exist in crypto. Um, so, you know, those things combined, um, I really thought, you know, it's it's a good time to to personally start deploying um, back into into crypto. Got it. So I think when we met like a couple months ago, uh, we were eating pizza and you're like, yeah, like I'm like 95% T-bills or something. Like, has that changed? Like, are, are you literally just like <laughs> doing like a DCA strategy or like, how are you, I guess, like how, how do you deploy and how do you like, I guess if your views are, you know, the next couple of quarters, uh, you know, it's a good time to deploy. Like, are you just averaging in or like, how, how are you trying to, like, I guess, like time the markets? Yeah, because I spend so much time on the fund and all of our operations here, um, I don't have time to be like trading my PA during the day. Um, so just a simple strategy of um, getting into position, slowly adding to it, uh, not trying to time the market perfectly, to be honest. Uh, my general view is that, you know, we're at a point in the cycle where it's, it's a good time to be buying. And um, so just been accumulating ETH. Uh, not as much uh, Bitcoin and I as I should have, and I, you know, I'll continue to accumulate Bitcoin. But like I've um, sort of always liked ETH as a play where you know even if I'm wrong and Bitcoin leads um, for you know the first X amount of time in in a new run up, um, ETH will 
you know, end up having some trickle liquidity um, soon or eventually. Who knows? Um, and I do everything on ETH slash EVM chains mostly. So, you know, it's like uh, I'm good with like denominating in ETH uh, for, for a lot of things. Um, so I'm doing that. I've been doing that. And then uh, a couple things that I have um, a good feeling about in terms of having a good chance of outperforming ETH slash Bitcoin. Um, so alts, you know, normally don't touch as much, but, um, you know, ones that I'm willing to hold for a decent amount of time, um, I'll buy those. Do you mind sharing like what types of altcoins, uh, you don't mind holding right now? Or like if you do hold anything right now, uh, do you have any that you're willing to share? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I hold, uh, Canto, <laughs> um, I hold Rollbit, um, to name a few, um, I think like there's a lot of assets that I think, you know, will continue to bleed to zero bull market or not. Um, but I think there are a couple narratives that are very enticing. And uh, one of those is one of the big product market fits of crypto is uh, fortunately or unfortunately gambling. And, um, you know, sure the DOJ will likely end up cracking down on online casinos like stake and then uh, maybe roll it right after. Um, but until then, like just the, the numbers, um, even if some of it isn't fully real, uh, I think, you know, warrants a buy on Rollbit. Um, you know, not, not advice, but, you know, I, I've been playing around with, uh, buying, you know, Rollbit slash like other online casino narratives, um, uh, for a good amount of time. Um, but, you know, very confident, com com comfy in that position at the moment. Um, Canto, I think, you know, we posted as a firm about it. Um, you know, we actually kind of seriously do like Canto long term, or at least in the medium term, um, where it's, it's one of those, um, tokens where the distribution, um, is not like VCs vesting and then selling into the community. Um, all of the tokens were unlocked from the beginning. Um, and, I think like in, in the previous run-up, a lot of the pump and dumps kind of already happened. And I think like tokens that sort of mature along that curve and um, over time, like it goes into people that are willing to hold long-term. Um, I think just, just that itself is pretty strong about Canto. It, it's a very different like tokenomic structure than your typical L1, for example. And um, another thing about Canto, I think, um, as we mentioned is, RWAs are one of the biggest narratives. There's real stuff being built there um, in terms of RWAs. Um, as a firm, I'm not sure if we would participate in like liquidity provision um, for, for the RWA play specifically because we think we can make like better returns um, doing our pure ARB strategies, high frequency trading, whatnot. Um, but I do believe that um, there's a good... Um, there are good legs behind that project and the team itself is just like, they, they never give up. And, uh, those that, you know, continue to grind throughout the bear, um, pretty impressive. Yeah, definitely. Like the altcoins, uh, that's done well in this market, like for example, like Rollbit and maker, they have, you know, they make money and they buy back the token. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, like you kind of have to believe the Rollbit team that, okay, like these revenue numbers are real. Uh, but we have started to see, you know, on-chain buys of RLB token. Um, and yeah, it's definitely like one of the, crowd favorites. Um, I also like Kanto. Um, I feel like the first, when we saw like the Q1 pump, um, I, I missed out entirely. Like I just didn't really understand it. Uh, but then the token just like nuked 80%. Um, and now 
you know, they completely pivoted their strategy. So I think you kind of have to reprice uh, the entire chain. Um, and yeah, like, definitely a bull in order to raise. And I'm, I guess, like, glad you also agree, um, you know, with, with the entire, entire strategy. Um, so it seems like you're always in the office. Um, you know, I, I feel like you work like 12 hour days, like at least. Uh, how do you do, like, how do you like manage work-life balance in crypto? Like, have you gone better with it over time or do you still have to, uh, like, do you go to bed and like, do you think about crypto all the time? Uh, like, how do you try to like, you know, not, not like burn out, I suppose? Yeah. Um, I mean, the first thing, I guess, across the firm is we give everyone free Equinox memberships, which is, you know, very close to the office. Um, and remote guys as well, we try to give sort of benefits to, to make sure that they're staying healthy and, um, you know, they don't burn out. So, um, you know, as a firm, we all like to uh, make sure that like on the weekends, it's unless you're getting paged or um, there's something going on in the market, not everyone needs to be on call. Um, but then again, like if volatility hits and, you know, within our trading system, we've got all these risk alerts and monitors baked in. Um, if you get page, you got to wake up and you got to fix it basically. And if not, like there's, there could be risks that, we're, you know, we're losing money on. Um, so th there's, there's two things. It's like, because it's, you know, all the time, 24 seven, when you're live trading in crypto, um, you need to be always alert. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, we, we make sure that like people have somewhat flexible, um, hours, uh, benefits that like, you know, help them, um, and things like that. And yeah, I think bull market, if, if it comes through, um, it'll probably make everyone even busier. Um, but usually on the weekends, there's less volatility, which means there's, uh, less, um, constant attention that you need to put in as, you know, system from all the trades are fitted. Gotcha. Yeah. I, you know, I introduced, you know, a couple of your employees, like the Blackbird app. Um, and, you know, I, I think everyone's like eating to earn, right. Uh, getting pizza and whatnot. So I think the Equinox membership is definitely needed. Uh, so you mentioned like consumer app thesis, <laughs> uh, like obviously I think, you know, front tech is one of it, right. Um, I think Manifold is um, a big participant uh, in the front tech like, buys and sells the keys. Um, like what exactly is like the thesis um, and how does that fit into your, I guess your entire, like, you know, crypto, like bull case. Yeah. So the main part of our thesis is um, the whole idea that consumer apps are needed in order for us to onboard the next Delta of millions of users into crypto. Um, you know, until now, it's been a lot of infrastructure plays trying to guess, uh, you know, will consumers need this, right? And they're just trying to build the picks and shovels so that if a consumer app really onboards a lot of users, they have enough uh, performance, throughput, uh, block space, and um, whatnot in order to really give them the user experience that they need. Uh, I think what FriendTech demonstrated was very interesting because um, it managed to onboard a lot of crypto users, but also non-crypto users. Um, and their mechanism sort of coupled with Kirby uh, showed that, oh, consumers really need um, very web two friendly UX in order to feel like they can onboard and, and with the right incentives, they would want to onboard onto a new application. Um, once they're on it and they start earning some fees and whatnot, and they got free ETH, they're going to try to figure out, oh, I have this embedded wallet. What should I do? Should I withdraw it and then try to, you know, sell it on an exchange or whatnot to, to get, you know, real money as uh, people might call it in, in USD notional terms. Um, so I think like that was a very interesting part of Frentech. Um, 
And I think in general, like there are lots of new consumer apps coming up. You know, you're very into Blackbird, so are we. And um, there's a lot of other things that I think will have Web 2, Web 3 crossover um, that really helps um, users onboard onto crypto without at first knowing that this is a crypto app, for example. Um, yeah, as I mentioned before, I think that's really the only way we get a sustained sort of bull market and like use case for crypto in general is if we can onboard more real people um, instead of kind of rotating around the, the infrastructure plays. Yeah, I feel like there's definitely been an overinvestment in like the infra layer just because like if you're like a VC, you don't really want to make a bet on a singular app. So you're like, okay, like I'll just fund that L1, L2. Um, and yeah, like, you know, Blackbird, really cool, Frantic, um, pretty, pretty cool as well. Um, like to follow up on what you mentioned earlier, um, I guess, you know, with like Rollbit, um, you, you mentioned like, you know, two favorite alts um, is Rollbit and Canto. Um, how do you like manage risk there? I mean, of course, like as a firm, I think you manage risk really, really well. Um, but like, from like your personal book, um, like how do you think about risk? Um, do you have like stop losses in place? How do you, you know, size these bets? Um, relative to your core holdings, like, you know, Bitcoin and Ether. Um, can you like just uh, tell us like your thinking process there? Yeah, I think in general, like personally, um, I wouldn't trade or invest with money that I would, um, you know, suffer from losing. So always setting aside like additional capital that you can either add if you have really strong conviction or, um, you know, putting it aside so that you make sure that like, trading and investing does not negatively impact your life, basically. Um, and another thing is um, in terms of leverage, like I tend not to take um, that much leverage. Um, usually positions that I take are a small slice of my total portfolio, um, you know, coupled with what I just said earlier, you know, making sure that, you know, each bet that I'm making, I believe that it's like in a plus EV spot. Um, but at the same time, um, not risking too much where um, it, it'll really impact my portfolio if, uh, you know, my, my thesis was wrong. Um, I think, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, um, trader psychology is quite important. Some people, you know, will thrive even if they're putting very large chunks of their portfolio into each trade. But I think, you know, mathematically, um, if you're making a lot of bets consistently, into um, trades and positions that you think are likely to win or um, you know has a higher payout um, then you know over time over you know a lot of trades um, you're likely gonna um, see your portfolio grow right so that's sort of the way I like to trade um, yeah just managing size positions trades extremely important um, and you know making sure that you're not investing more than you can afford to lose. Got it. So you definitely prefer, you know, like small wins over time, manage risk, like downside risk. Um, and I guess that also kind of coincides with like how you run your firm. Uh, like, would you, would you say like that's accurate? Yep. Um, do you ever like take on like these potential home run trades? Well, yeah. So, I mean, basically the best trade is if you risk little and make a lot, right? Where the risk reward is just extremely asymmetric. So I love those types of trades, right? And I think venture is, um, you know, one of those um, types of opportunities where venture as a whole, it's a longer payout horizon, but you can put in a small amount and you can um, try to go for large multiples, right? 
Um, so, you know, that's also why we decided to start a venture fund at Manifold. Not only did we realize that, like, personally, we had a great track record at making good venture investments, but at the same time, we had a lot of strong resources and people, uh, engineering, market making capabilities um, to be able to support projects. And we were like, why don't we, um, you know, leverage our um, knowledge or expertise in order to start making bets that end up, you know, being like longer horizon call options, essentially. Got it. Got it. Um, so I just want to talk more um, or, you know, pick your brain more on like the trading side. Um, so obviously you've been in markets for a very long time. It seems like, you know, you've done well in the, in the first, in, the, in like the 2017 bull market. Um, like how did you cope with like the first bear market in like 2018, 2019? Um, and do you, are, are there any similarities of like, you know, that bear market to this bear market? Um, and do you actually like believe in like the four-year cycle theory uh, that, you know, people like to, you know, just share? Yeah, so I'd say like in the during the first bear, um, I was mostly just still focusing on building um, and engineering, um, and you know I was continuously just buying and accumulating, but I wasn't really like trading in and out of positions that frequently. I was probably just swing trading um, with you know what I had back then, um, and I think that was the right play. Um, otherwise, you know you would get chopped up pretty hard by the market. Um, during that time, um, I think over time, um, you know, when DeFi and NFTs came around, there was a lot more activity going on everywhere and there was a lot more stuff you could do. Um, I think, you know, this bear market has been quite different where like a lot of the stuff was around counterparty risk and like FTX, for example, the, the UST Luna 3AC blow up, stuff like that, where, um, you know, a lot of the things that caused um, a massive um, downturn was very different, I think, from um, what 2018, 19 was about. So, you know, markets are never stationary. Um, you know, everything continues to change, the context changes and whatnot. Um, and so it's like, just because you've gone through it once doesn't mean you know the exact pay playbook um, the next time, right? Um, yes, you have certain you know nuances you understand a couple of things better based on experience but um you know it's definitely not easy uh i'd say um for like moving forward um there's going to be um probably you know new derivatives of like what we've experienced before um i would say like four-year cycles it's hard to say, right? Um, there's no reason for that correlation to exist. Like, it's just a number, four years, right? Um, do I believe that, like, there will be another cycle? Yeah, I think so. But I think each subsequent cycle is going to be smaller and smaller um, in terms of magnitude and volatility. And that's just the signs of a maturing market. As more people, more institutional players come into play, um, the market itself will mature, will become slightly more liquid each time. And when that happens, you know, um, there's better pricing that happens across the board and, um, you actually have a more real market where, uh, you know, they're not really like crazy cycles, but, um, you know, just ups and downs in the markets basically. Yeah. I, I think that definitely goes along the lines of your, you know, web three consumer app thesis where, you know, for crypto to mature, we can't just have Ponzi's go up and down and, you know, go to a thousand X and then go to zero. Um, because I feel like at this point, retail or like the majority of the world uh, is tired of these just like 
crash and burns, right? Um, I think we have to have the next cycle led by actual use cases. Uh, and it might not be that fun, right? Like real world assets, not like a crazy fun narrative, um, but obviously there's demand for, you know, 5% yield, right? Risk-free rate. Um, and then Blackbird, you know, trying to build yeah. like, uh, like, a, like a loyalty program using blockchain rails and then Frentech, you know, like this, another derivative of social tokens. Um, so the, the next thing I wanted to touch on, um, so like, what, what do you think are like the common traits of successful traders? Um, like how many people like do you employ? Like, what do you look for when you're trying to hire someone? Um, and yeah, can you like just give me like your thought process there? Yeah, so signs of a good discretionary trader. We don't have a ton of discretionary traders within Manifold, but I can share a couple of thoughts on what I think make a good discretionary trader. I think the most important thing is finding your edge, uh, figuring out what part of the game you're good at. And once you have an edge, um, then you know, you've found yourself a game where your expected value is positive, right? And therefore, you should try to figure out how to milk the most out of your edge um, and just size accordingly in order to try to you know, take the most out of that alpha over time, right? Um, certain games, there's less liquidity, there's less value to be um, taken. But, you know, if you find yourself with a true edge in a certain time frame, let's say trading Bitcoin or whatever on um, perps, like, you know, you should be really focusing on that instead of like trying to branch out way too much into all these different types of things, right? Uh, if you look at traders, there are, you know, traders that are good at different time frames, right? I'd say in crypto now, it's hard for a discretionary trader to be good on lower time frame scalping. Unless you're like CL or something and, you know, have some cat magic in your hands <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or whatever. Um, but like usually, you know, you probably wouldn't go for that time frame because, you know, the more volume you do, the more fees that you're paying. And uh, if, if you don't have like systematic execution, it's going to be really hard to compete. Um, but, you know, there are people that are very good at like intraday trading. There are people that are very good at swing trading. There are people that are good at... Um, I'd say on chain, like shit coining, for example, and there's very different types of traders. Um, but once you're a master at something, once you know the risks and sizing and, you know, what works with you, um, I think those are the best traders. They just stick to those strengths and like really try to become the best at their game. Yeah. Um, when we hire people at Manifold, um, you know, we're not really looking for the discretionary trading capabilities, but more, you know, it's, it's a prop trading shop. So um, can they generate more value than um, what they cost, first of all? Um, and with, by, by working with the rest of the team, um, would they be able to generate even more value than what they could on a personal level? And I think like the most important thing is like, you know, we don't need to hire people that have redundant skill sets or unique capabilities that other people already have. I think it's really like, do we have something new to learn from this person? Does this person bring something new to the table, a new mastery that like not everyone has? And um, I think, you know, that's what we look for. And, you know, we want anybody, you know, meeting a manifold team member to go like, oh, wow, this person's really interesting. I learned something new about new from this person about the market. Gotcha. Yeah. Speaking of cat magic, I have my uh, pencil box here with the, the tail that, you know, <laughs> it's, it's really funny like like cl like works for manifold right like what's it like being a partner or like working with him because uh, i know like on twitter he like just talks about you know like masturbating in socks and whatnot but like you know like what, what's it actually like like working <laughs> with the guy yeah i mean he he i wouldn't say he works for manifold um you know we've just been very close friends for a while um he comes around a lot and um he's you know helping across the board 
Um, obviously not like a normal team member that's, uh, you know, working like full time every day. Um, but you know, it's, it's just awesome to, to have him around. Like everyone loves, um, you know, working with him and, um, you know, I think he's one of the most respected and sharpest people in crypto. And one of the guys that I think like with the amount of attention that he has within crypto um, and the influence that he has, um, he could have like monetized it a lot more. Right. Um, but I think like he just has very strong ethics and um, he, you know, really cares about uh, doing the right thing. And um, I respect that a lot, right? There are lots of people that have come and gone in this space that kind of use their influence and uh, um, their track record in not so good ways. But I think like CL is a great steward in the space. And um, that that's why I think a lot of people respect him. Yeah, yeah, for, <laughs> definitely for sure. Um, yeah, I think ethics is very important. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like crypto attracts a bunch of less ethical people. Uh, so as long as you're ethical, I feel like it's pretty easy to stand out. And I, yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, CL is one of those guys. Um, like, what do you think are, you know, just pivoting here, like the biggest misconceptions uh, that people have about the crypto market? Like you've lived through a couple cycles. Um, I'm sure you have some, you know, takes uh, where, you know, you, you see like a new retail participant, you know, like they get into crypto for like the wrong reasons. Uh, can you like to share, you know, like what people get wrong about crypto? Um, and I guess like some sage advice from Mr. J. Chung. <laughs> I mean, like the first thing is the meme, like when Lambo, like <laughs> usually, you know, um, coming into crypto, you actually won't have an edge. So trading crypto, um, you likely will lose money. It's more likely that you lose money than not, basically. Um, I think what a lot of people get wrong is when they come in, they want to find a next new shiny coin. Um, that's going to multiply 10x as soon as they buy it. Um, I think it's probably the biggest waste of time if someone's coming into crypto to really just do that. Um, you know, in general, like if you have no idea what you're doing, it's best to just over time buy into majors instead of trying to find, you know, random long tail assets that nobody knows about. Um, I think another misconception is, uh, you know, Crypto is a technology that is likely going to change the world. Um, and that's why some people come into it becoming a maxi of something. And um, I think that's the wrong way to think about it. Crypto has a specific niche. I think there are a couple PMS that have become apparent with crypto. And, uh, you know, some of those things um, are potentially playing out. Who knows? Like, there's nothing that has fully played out, in my opinion. So it's still you know, trying to find the true PMF of blockchain technology. Um, and, you know, until then, there, it's still just a high risk space with a lot of interesting tech and infrastructure, um, but it hasn't found, you know, full adoption yet. Um, so, you know, I would, you know, as a trader investor, you know, keep that in mind um, before, you know, jumping to conclusions. Um, a lot of things in crypto are marketed as the next shiny thing that will, you know, make a lot of money for you. Um, but most times than not, it's not the case. Gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, not look for, you know, 100Xs, 1000Xs, but just think more fundamentally about like product market fit. Um, like one question, like one yeah. thing I wanted to follow up on uh, is you mentioned, you know, you would rather denominate your net worth um, in ETH uh, over BTC um, and, you know, you primarily use EVM chains. 
Uh, but I think one of the strongest communities that came out of, I guess, like the past cycle is Solana. Um, like, do you have any thoughts on Sol mm -hmm. uh, relative to Ether? Um, and like, do you have any like you know like big picture views on Sol uh, that you want to share? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't want to seem like a complete ETH maxi. <laughs> um, like, it's just that like when I came into crypto, like I started playing around with ETH the most. So whatever portfolio that I have in crypto, I kind of think about like, oh, how much ETH am I accumulating? Um, I'll still hold Bitcoin and I'll still hold, you know, ETH, like equally a lot of the times and so on. Um, I think like in general, I am quite bearish in the whole L1, L2 thesis. Um, I think the, the trade has been overplayed. Uh, we've had so many chains. Like if we right now did an exercise of naming like just even EVM chains, like we could come up with probably 30 like on the spot, right? And you know, there's not enough space. Um, there's not enough applications that are real with real people using it um, to warrant th that much value being spread out across all these ecosystems, right? Um, I think Solana is interesting. Um, you know, they seem to have real people that still believe in Solana, um, communities of artists and whatnot um, that are real. And uh, it's not just the same people like rotating liquidity across chains. Um, but at the same time, I think like Solana does have to find its niche. Um, I think block space in general is decently cheap right now anyway. So um, just the narrative of being a faster chain um, is not necessarily, you know, uh, something that will like keep relevancy for, for most chains moving forward. And like, you know, just some thought that I had when I was looking at like the FDV of Aptos, for example, um, this was a couple months back. It was like 10 and a half billion. And I think Discord secondaries were going at three and a half billion, you know, but like how many people are using Aptos versus how many people are using Discord, right? Like just some of these valuations still make completely no sense in crypto. And, um, you know, it, it's going to have to correct eventually. Got it. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, you don't like the alt l1 slash l2 thesis you know there's too much l2s too, too much too much block space not enough apps uh but you mentioned earlier that you really like canto uh, which is like another alt l1 slash you know evm l2 uh like what about canto makes it different uh where you're like not bearish uh you know the entire chain yeah, yeah i think like chains need to come up with um specific niches that they need to carry out right um, and I think Kanto has done a very good job of focusing on RWAs, which I think is potentially going to be um, a PMF or narrative that um, continues to run within crypto. Um, I think a lot of chains haven't really decided on their identity yet, and way too many chains just fight over the identity of, oh, we're cheaper and faster, right? And right now, there's no selling point to that, basically. Um, there's too many people trying to claim the same things and compete over each other, essentially. Um, so I think that's really the, the main reason. And also, like, another thing about most of these L1, L2 chains is VCs basically threw in tons of money at very high valuations. A lot of them during the bull markets, they're vesting over, you know, still continuing to vest and throw away those tokens because they don't have that much value because there's no activity on the chain. Um, so I think like that's sort of another fundamental difference in terms of like tokenomics and, you know, trying not to be the exit liquidity of um, other people. Yeah. Does like the inflation rate of Canto ever worry you? Because, uh, you know, you can LP for Canto, uh, note Canto ETH, uh, you can stay Canto. 
LP for stable coins, the inflation rate's like pretty high. Um, of course, that helps in uh, that that helps bring in liquidity. Um, but you know, like, how, how do you think about token inflation um, for like an asset like Canto? Yeah, I think uh, so. There's a couple things to it. One is inflation is not bad if growth is following the inflation, right? Um, so basically, it's the true growth rate, the real growth rate of Canto in terms of activity, in terms of liquidity, um, is outpacing the new emissions. Uh, I think it's totally fine. Um, that's just a way to you know grow even faster and incentivize people in the way you want them to act. Um, on the other hand, if you know growth was stalling but inflation was still high, um, then you know you're you're really it's a double-edged sword. What inflation is. And um, I, I think, you know, you're able, that's, that's able to change. Um, and, you know, I don't think that the structure they currently have is too rigid. Uh, just the way they were able to flexibly change the direction of the ecosystem to um, RWAs, I think uh, they, they have, you know, a lot of potential to do the right things in order to, um, you know, get, make it a successful project, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, you know, I I am also long canto, so I hope you're right uh, for our sake. Uh, so you know, like, I mean, going back to Ether, right? Um, you mentioned you know uh, you've been scaling into Ether, uh, but unfortunately, the ETH BTC ratio has been pretty much down only. Uh, it's approaching 0.05. Uh, do you look at the ETH BTC ratio? Like, what are your views on it? Do you think the ETF can be as all the news? Like, like what are your what like what's your outlook on the ratio? Um, and like, does it really like? Uh, affect like your market outlook um it actually makes me more bullish in the market um the fact that alts are bleeding against bitcoin it's very good um you know i have had the thought of like long dgens um dgens love alts dgens love uh roll bit gambling mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff meme coins during the bear market um basically my whole idea was you know um you know DGEN seem to love alts. Let me, you know, have exposure there. Um, you know, I have some Bitcoin, but not enough, basically. Um, could be wrong, but, you know, over time, um, I do think that even if the ETF is causing, you know, price discovery and the main run on Bitcoin, uh, you know, this it, within crypto, I think, is always the same, where um, there is going to be trickle down of liquidity into other opportunities, into alts. Uh, when that starts happening, it probably means that the space is getting a bit too heated up. Um, but at the same time, I think ETH is one of the first benefactors of, of such rotation of capital. Um, so I'm not too worried about trying to like chop trade um, the ETH BTC ratio. Um, and actually, it actually makes me feel more bullish in the market that Bitcoin is actually leading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely agree. Um, yeah, it's. Lots, lots of like you know counter arguments are against like the Bitcoin dominance theory and the ETPTC theory, but it definitely seems like it's playing out. Uh, do you think like the market is front running the ETF news? Uh, it seems like you know people have come to terms with the ETF just being approved sometime this year or early next year. Um, what like do you actually think that ETF will bring in new flows? Uh, like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, so I think like. It's hard to say, um, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm still thinking about it um, internally. And uh, I mean, it, it would really be for my PA. Um, I think I'm just going to stick to um, what I was planning. And, you know, I love just like sticking to trades where I've already parameterized everything and just like 
continue doing it unless my conviction like completely changes. Um, I think it's still a good time to deploy um, as it was, you know, at the start of this quarter. Um, I'll continue to do that. I do think that a lot of people are trying to basically scalp or swing trade based on, um, you know, their expectation of what's going on with the ETF. I think at current prices, um, the ETF is still, um, if it were to get approved tomorrow, like we're still undervalued is what I think. So sure, some people might be front running or trading this round, but um, I still think that um, there, there's more room. Sounds like you're very bullish, making me bullish now. <laughs> yeah, no, um, like, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of talked about like portfolio con uh, construction earlier, but you, you also mentioned, you know, like picking high EV spots and whatnot. Like, how do you calculate EV? Because I feel like it's really hard in crypto just because it's so such a new space. Um, do you do you have like a model in place uh, where you say you know if it's these uh, you know these this is like the checklist if it fulfills these things I'm gonna go along uh, like how how do you like think about EV and crypto uh, for your, like your personal book I think like it depends on the context of each trade it's really hard to generalize and fully quantify um, but you know like if you have a venture trade or a venture investment. And your investment size is X and you think there's like, let's say a 20% chance of this happening that becomes the catalyst of like a X multiple. You know, you can probably calculate a general like expected value of the returns from that over like a certain discounter over a certain time frame. And then if you're doing like a, um, let's say long tail asset trade or a shitcoin trade, um, you probably say there's, you know, a very high chance of this going to zero. Um, if I'm fully watching during the whole time of my trade position, I could probably maybe avoid going to zero. So there's like, you know, rug risk, which is like the probability of it going to zero, um, slash smart contract risk, which means a security slash hack. Then there's just like, you know, you being the actual liquidity, so you're losing a lot of money and you just have to cut at some point. And then there's like a chance that it really, you know, has multiples, right? And then like you kind of try to, I guess, think about, all those things uh, before uh, you enter the trade, set your target and, you know, set reasons why you would exit uh, and like sticking to it instead of changing it on the spot because you can react emotionally. You can, um, you might not make the best decisions basically if, uh, you know, unless you were able to put the time in beforehand to think about all of the scenarios. Yeah. So crypto is such a volatile space. Um, and, you know, when price goes up, we're all euphoric. Uh, when price goes down, we're, you know, sad. Uh, how, how do you manage like psychology? Uh, you know, I mean, you, you've been in this space for so long. Um, like, is there things you do to, I guess, ground yourself? Um, and do you have any, like any advice for, you know, people that are trying to make it this, this, you know, upcoming cycle um, on, you know, how to not get too euphoric at like the, you know, the, the next market top, for example. Yeah, I think um, just, trying to learn from the past and everybody makes mistakes. Um, I think not forgetting about those mistakes and trying to figure out what went wrong, um, contextualizing it, and then um, really try to like remember and figure out if there's a similar spot and like avoiding those is really important, I think, in crypto because a lot of things repeat themselves. Um, I would say... Uh, making sure that you're touching grass, working out, um, staying healthy, eating. I think there's nothing that you should, you know, substitute 
um, for long-term health, like it's not worth it. Um, and the healthier you are, the sharper your mind is going to be probably. Uh, so I would say like, those are some things that like people should try not to forget. Got it. Yeah. So, you know, we, we have to close the podcast soon, but do you have any like hot takes about the crypto markets that you want to share? Uh, things are bullish on, bearish on, uh, that you think is contrarian, um, like any, anything you want to share? Um, Ooh, I think, um, one thing that was already a hot take was just like the bearishness on L1s and L2s. Um, I really think like capital continues to leave um, chains that really haven't identified anything for themselves. And um, I just don't see why they would stick around in the long term. Um, so I would say that's probably one of my hot takes. Um, in terms of like just bullishness overall, um, hmm. like outside of the narratives that I already talked about, um, I think like not just consumer apps, but consumer app infra, I think is super important. Like just the recent stuff that we saw with Privy, um, we now know that like a lot of people prefer a certain type of UX as long as like security comes with it. Um, so just like making sure to, um, you know, stay on top of those developments, I think will be quite beneficial. There's a lot of account abstraction plays, wallet abstraction. Um, there's embedded wallets like Privy, a lot of innovation happening there. That's really exciting. Yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on ARB and Optimism, like those two tokens. Um, you said you said you're bearish like L2 tokens and L1 tokens, um, but you know, both ARB and Optimism have pretty strong communities. Uh, do you think those tokens will ever have like strong value cruel? Um, or do you just think that they're like those VC bags that will like just eventually just like go down over time against Ether? So I'm not sure about value accrual, and I do agree that there's a lot of emissions that are still coming. Um, but in terms of mindshare, um, it's pretty important in crypto to have mindshare. Um, Arbitrum seems to have a good chunk of it, and a lot of developers have built on it. And there's you know native assets like stable coins natively on Arbitrum. There's a lot of things there that like the, the general infrastructure is very stable, where like it attracts a lot of builders. So I think like because of that, um, Arbitrum probably won't be the first to fizzle out. Um, I think they've still got um, legs to you know have traction. I don't know if the token will do well, but I don't think that Arbitrum as a chain in terms of like staying active will will go away too soon. Um, I think optimism is somewhat similar in that regard. In that regard, but um, one additional thing about Optimism is like a lot of other ecosystems are, are using it and they're thinking about ways to add more value accrual back to um, optimism. So um, that's pretty interesting, like base, BSC, um, you know, all those types of things where they're trying to basically use optimism setup, I think is, is pretty interesting. And um, yeah, so I, I do think those two still capture some mindshare and um, not sure if the token will truly, you know, find a new top um in a bull market but um we'll see i think i think um they are definitely better out of a lot of l1s and l2s out there yeah in my last uh, for episode two i had thicky on and he kind of said that you know all crypto tokens are kind of like meme coins where like, it's really hard to find like actual value accrual um and people like for example like people will long arbitrum just because oh like there's people that use arbitrum it's an l2 i'll buy it 
do you think value accrual actually matters in crypto, or do you think that you know these tokens are just a form of like like a way for people to speculate, um, like potentially like make money as number go up and down? Um, I think it will start mattering more and more. To be honest, I think the state of crypto until now has been that way. Um, but you know, following up on sort of what I said about the market will mature over time. Um, you know, cycles will get less and less apparent, things like that. Um, I do think that, um, you know, there will need to be real value, um, in order for, um, real bids to come in on certain tokens. I think like meme coins will never go away. Um, but you know, I, I would classify those differently from sort of real value adding projects in the future. Got it. Yeah. Like final question, I guess, like touching on meme coins, like I'm personally not a great meme coin trader, uh, but do you think Doge will ever come back? Like, what do you think about Pepe? Like, like what, what, like, what are these things, right? <laughs> like, like, do you think Doge will ever hit new all time highs? Uh, do you have any takes on like meme coins? Potentially, I think, um, you know, it's like a function of where the market is macro wise as well. Um, with current markets, do I really think that Doge will find new all-time highs? Probably not. Um, but there will likely be different market contexts in the future where it's not out of a realm of possibilities, right? It's like, you know, when you say some things might happen or not, you come with like assumptions, right? And under current market assumptions, like I see it as being very unlikely. But there are other regimes where, uh, you know, it becomes a lot likelier. Uh, you know, like the, the last all time I had Doge was one of the biggest bull markets in crypto. Uh, interest rates were extremely low. Um, there were, you know, meme stocks and like the whole thing became a narrative and a meta of its own. Um, so, you know, it was one of the best prime spots for something like that to shine. Um, and we're not really in that regime right now. Um, it clicked more, but uh, I don't see it very, being very likely soon. Gotcha. Uh, final question, then I'll let you go. Uh, what are some trading rules that you live by, uh, especially when it comes to crypto? Um, yeah, I think, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, don't risk more than you can afford to lose. Um, try not to take too much leverage. Uh, stay away from cowboy options trading, I would say. I think like out of everyone actually that's made it in crypto, there's been, um, I've seen shitcoin traders who have made it. I've seen crazy leverage traders who have made it. I've seen people that just accumulated spot or invested in venture, but like I've not seen a full-time options trader that has like really baited in crypto. Um, I think it's hard. It's, uh, you know, it, it sounds enticing. Like a lot of people on Robinhood trade like stock options, right? Um, but I think in crypto, it's like they're, they're, other spots where like you will find an edge probably a bit quicker. Um, so yeah, I, I try to stay away from doing that as well. Yeah. I feel like people just love to take screenshots of their options. It's like up 20 X or something. Uh, so it like brings in those types mm -hmm. of traders, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I, don't, I don't even know, um, an options trader that's like made it, uh, maybe they're anon and in the depths of, you know, crypto Twitter. Uh, but anyways, mm -hmm. you know, thank you Jay for coming on. Uh, I think our viewer and I definitely learned a lot. Uh, where can people find you um, on Twitter? Um, yeah, they could find me at um, underscore Jay Chong um, on Twitter. I don't check it super often, but, um, you know, if uh, someone messages me, I'll try to respond. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jay, for coming on. And I hope you enjoyed episode three of Crypto Market Wizards. Thank you and bye-bye. Thank you.